are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thursday edition of Locked On NBA, David Locke along with Ben Golliver running you through the biggest games of the night with the biggest stories of the NBA every day on Locked On NBA, Washington Post columnist Ben Golliver. How are you, Ben? I'm doing very well. I thought it was one of the better nights of Wednesday night basketball we've had in a while. Brooklyn put on an absolute show, um, getting Kevin Durant back, even without James Harden. I mean, it was kind of a, a title contender statement type win for them, just absolutely demolishing uh, the Pelicans on national TV. And then the nightcap, you got a one versus two battle, Utah versus Phoenix that goes to overtime, raising all sorts of questions, I think, for both teams as they look ahead of the playoffs. And you know, a few other scattered results around. You know, Memphis con- uh, continues to be very impressive. Uh, just a lot going on around the league. I thought it was a great Wednesday night. All right, let's start with the uh, number one in the West, Utah Jazz, versus number two in the West, Phoenix Suns. Actually, number one and two records in the NBA when the night started uh, in Phoenix. Phoenix came in having won 27 of their last 33. Both teams had won 9 of 10. Both teams are generally doubted as playoff contenders. Um, with everyone still focused on Lakers, Clippers, Nuggets, they might be right. Uh, what was your take on this game? Well, I think, first of all, a very big game for seeding implications, right? I mean, there was a chance if Utah wins this that that gap grows a little bit wider with Phoenix and, you know, they're in kind of driver's seat to claim that one seed. I think now you're going to have a much more interesting race down the stretch. There's still a gap between those two and everybody else, but that one versus two seed could be pretty important depending on where exactly the Lakers land and then how you think the playing rounds are going to shake out. So I think that, you know, from the league's perspective, it's probably better that Phoenix takes this one because it's going to give a real chase here, you know, over the, the next month or so. And it's going to get pretty wild in a, a lot of these seeding battles up and down the Western Conference. My other big takeaway was just sort of that the fourth quarter situation. And, and you mentioned the doubts for both teams. I think part of the doubts, or a large part, is just where do these teams go Late in playoff games, do they have people that everyone's going to circle and say, oh, yeah, he's going to, we're going to, definitely going to trust him. Now, everybody will remember Shaquille O'Neal kind of questioning Donovan Mitchell. Does he need to step up? Is he really that guy? You know, maybe he's not a top-five player in the league. I mean, I think some of those criticisms were really overwrought. But still, you want to see exactly how does Utah execute in a one-possession ball game down the stretch. And for Phoenix, the, the biggest question to me is, is it going to be Chris Paul or is it going to be Devin Booker in kind of the moments that matter? Are they going to be able to balance those um, responsibilities? And you saw at the end of regulation, the final shot for Phoenix, it's in uh, Devin Booker's hands and he settles for a three with the score tied. I certainly thought they could have gotten a better shot in that situation. And I think, you know, three or four shots prior to that one at the end of regulation, he winds up, uh, you know, kind of going over and, and their offense hits a real low in that spot. I, personally, I would have preferred the ball to be in Chris Paul's hands. But the story changed a little bit in overtime. Booker turns it around, gets a number of uh, baskets and created opportunities for his teammates, and, and Phoenix puts it away. But I think that was kind of my biggest takeaway. It's a playoff preview, and everyone's going to overanalyze and dissect what those two teams did um, in those late-game moments. What do you think? 
Let me give you a few thoughts on that. Devin Booker coming in in the clutch this year, 28% shooting, 16 of 58. He ends up, I think, going 2 of 2 in the fourth, or in the overtime after going 0 of 4 in the fourth. He's 5 of 22 from 3, 5 of 23 after missing that shot. He's got five, uh, 7 assists and 5 turnovers. I mean, this guy's shooting 28% in the clutch and 23% from 3. I, I mean, I, I was left with a few... Uh, different thoughts than you had on this first of all chris paul's truly amazing chris paul yes. checked into the game with two minutes left in the third quarter and never left he played 39 eight minutes in regulation tonight like phoenix well i, I like think, i mean i think that also tells you phoenix thought this was important right booker played 39 oh. paul played 38 and eight and played 37 in regulation Absolutely, and that's what's going to have to happen in the playoffs. They've managed his minutes very carefully this year, so 100% correct there. They're trying to keep you know the, the toll off of him during the regular season. They're only pushing it here because they really want that victory. There, there's no doubt in my mind. And you know there was a comment on the television broadcast kind of right before Booker takes that shot of, well, of course they're going to give it to the Booker. He's the best player on the court. I don't know about that at all. You know, I personally, I still think Chris Paul has been the, the engine for a lot of what they're doing. It doesn't always translate in the stat sheet. I understand he's not going to be a 30 point a night type of guy, but he, I just trust the ball in his hands. I thought he would have gotten a better shot there. I think that even if he's not the one taking it, he will create a shot and it will be a cleaner look than just going ISO with Booker. And it's not trying to slam Booker. You know, he's an incredible scoring talent. There's no doubt about it, but and I think that he really wants to be the guy. And I think that's part of it, too, is that he wants to be the, the, the hero who, you know, shoots down the L.A. Clippers in last year's bubble, right, with that incredible shot over Paul George. I think he really wants to, you know, he's from that Kobe Bryant Mamba mentality school of thought. Uh, there's a lot of Kyrie Irving to how he wants to play late in games. And I'm just not always sure that's their best strategy. You know, personally, I'd say, hey, Chris Paul, take the ball. You have the car keys. Go create something for us and, and see what happens. Um, and, I, you know, also not to just focus on their two guards, we should definitely circle and highlight DeAndre Ayton. He's going to be a gigantic question mark going into the playoffs. He's never been there before. He's been kind of an inconsistent player even this season, which, you know, he's, he's really found a nice groove for them, uh, you know, in terms of his role, which has been reduced from previous years. But still, you don't always know what you're going to get night to night from him. I thought it was one of the best games I've ever seen DeAndre Ayton play, especially considering the circumstances. Lots of impact on the glass, incredible hustle and energy. And if Phoenix is going to win a playoff series, and it's quite possible they go into that first round as underdogs if they get the Lakers, like in a 2-7, um, if they're going to win a playoff series, Ayton is going to have to show up like he did tonight. He was great. I mean, the, the, the key numbers tonight, I, I actually think, having called this game, I might have a different perspective on it. I actually feel like this game is going to be really misdiagnosed. Like, the key to this game is Aiton's offensive rebounding. Uh, they ended up uh, with a brilliant offensive rebounding game. I think they were plus 10 in second-chance points, 18-9. Uh, to 9. They were plus 11 in fast-break points, the Phoenix Suns were tonight. Chris Paul's changed this basketball team, not because of all the mid-range stuff everybody wants to talk about, but because he pushes it ahead to Devin Booker. And Devin Booker, I'd have to go check, but I'd guess Devin Booker probably had 12 of those 18 points in transition tonight. I'd guess six of his 13 field goals were open-court layups that he gets because Chris Paul pushes it ahead to him. The Phoenix Suns' offensive rating in the half court tonight was an 81. So, like... This was a case of the fourth-best half-court offense against the number-one defense, and the number-one defense had its way, but 
it didn't. The Jazz didn't rebound when Chris Paul and Devin Booker pulled Gobert out. Aiton kept the ball alive. Aiton was a beast um, in in that regard. It was fabulous. Boyan Bogdanovich played forty minutes and had one rebound for the Jazz. Like that's a real problem for them. Um, yeah, for for sure. I mean, if they don't. Do you do you see a good lineup adjustment there? I mean, in terms of their personnel that's who they want out there, you know? So it's, it kind of comes down to him. Just he has to do a little bit more, right? Yeah, I mean, I think the, your other answers are Joe Ingles plays there, and he's not uh, he's not an elite-level uh, rebounder. The other one is the Jazz shot their season-low 25% from three, and they've now done this two games in a row. They did not shoot well against Dallas either. Is that just because, you know, it's late? you're getting late in the season? Is that because the defenses are real? You're not playing Orlando and you're not playing those guys? I mean, I think that's, you know, are some of the Jazz guys not capable shooters in a in – a, playoff setting uh as the last two games felt awfully a lot like playoff games against both dallas and phoenix that's concerning because the jazz have shot terribly both the last two nights the one thing you brought up was donovan i I think donovan's answered every question that there is he had 23 points at the end of three he had 36 at the end of four he had 41 at the end of the ball game i mean he was a one-man show he got no support tonight offensively uh from anyone on that roster and he he carried that so any questions about i think donovan answered any of the young guards in that game I would say Donovan's the one who answered the questions in that game no I, I hear you on that I just think that you know if, if they're going to go deep if they're going to reach that Western Conference Finals baseline that we were talking about last week you don't want to have it be just the Donovan Mitchell show right you want it to be scoring from all five spots the ball's moving everybody's hitting shots and it's just this overwhelming offensive attack that we've seen from Utah for a lot of that season and so that part uh, was was more uh, of my concern on Utah, Utah's side. You know, speaking of Bogdanovich, the double clutch on the late three in regulation when he's open, the ball swings to him. It's like you just got to shoot that, bud. You're a great, you know, you're a great shooter. What are you, what are you waiting? And uh, you know, winds up rimming off on that one. Um, that felt like a missed opportunity to me, and and I don't know why. You know, what's the cause of that clutch? I just don't know. And I wish uh, they could have that possession back because it was a nice, clean look and. Um, you know, it, it kind of went the other way for them. But um, I wouldn't overreact too much uh, for from Utah's side. I mean, it was a good basketball game. If these two teams played in a series, it's going to be a tight, long series, I would expect. And, uh, you know, I don't think it's panic time because of, you know, two poor shooting nights from three-pointers. I, I still think that they generate good shots, and they got a lot of capable shooters. Chris Paul, to me, still, it's just back to where we started. Chris Paul, to me, is this, like – that's the scabbiest story. I mean, he's just incredible. He he dominated this game. Like he dominated this basketball game tonight at 36 years old in a marquee setting. Like it's he was plus 17 tonight in a four point game. Well, I wrote about Chris Paul actually for the Sunday paper this week, and you know my my whole point was like if you want to see his value, don't only look at how he improves teams because everybody knows he's improved the Suns dramatically. He's improved. Uh, Oklahoma City dramatically. He improved Houston dramatically. But, like, look what happens to teams when he leaves, right? Like, when he left the Clippers the first year after he left the Clippers, it was the first time they missed the playoffs in seven years. He leaves Houston. They immediately go into a two-year collapse where they're regressing on every possible measure, and now they're one of the worst teams in the league. He leaves Oklahoma City, and it's like this guy who had just carried this group Deep in, you know, much higher in the standings than anybody expected, and deep into a first-round playoff series against Houston. Now they're one of the worst teams. They're losing by almost 25 points every single night because they're in a full-on tank. You know, you can see the value from Chris Paul not only where he is, but what happens when he goes. And you know, I think that if you took him off this Suns team, 
to me, like, and you just replace him with a, you know, let's say a replacement level point guard, or let's say they still had Rubio. To me, this is a team that's probably an eight or nine seed in the Western Conference. Like, I think he is the main driver of what's taking them from being good, even potentially above 500, to being a team that's in the mix for the one seed in the Western Conference. This is probably where Barkley would come in and say, well, that's why he should be in the MVP conversation. It's tough to make that argument just because, you know, the box score stats are going to throw a lot of voters for a loop. But, you know, when I'm looking at all NBA selections, he better be on that list. He's Ben Golliver of the Washington Post. I'm David Locke. For all this talk of these two Western Conference teams, is it possible that maybe somebody else played tonight and they're the best Western Conference team? We'll touch on that when we continue, (laughs) plus other things that are going on around the league. Today's show is brought to you in part by Headspace. I might need Headspace if I keep reading my... Twitter comments. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations and easy-use app. Headspace is one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. Whatever the situation, Headspace can really help you feel better overwhelmed. Headspace has the three-minute SOS meditation. Need help falling asleep? I can attest. I have started doing this a little less recently, but I was going through it. For all of you who want to laugh now, do you recall, Ben, we used to do this, and I was like, I can't sleep at night, and um, and I have to take meditation. Remember, I used, we talked about that in past shows. So if you, if you retrospectively think back at that, I was in the midst of selling my company and therefore really stressed out and couldn't sleep at night and having phone calls that were like way more stressful than anything I'd ever dealt with in my whole life. So I had to use meditation apps and Headspace to sleep at night. That's actually, if you think back about those live reads, that's what that was about, everybody. Just thought I'd share that with you now. Headspace is backed by 25 published study. It benefits 600,000 five-star reviews. Go to headspace.com slash Locked on NBA. I can attest. I did 20 minutes today. I am a meditation believer. It, I love it. It like it's 20 of my favorite minutes of the day, and I do think it's really valuable. Uh, go to headspace.com slash locked on NBA. Today's show is also brought to you by who, Ben Gulliver? It's got to be Rock Auto. It is Rock Auto time. Ben Gulliver and I are going to tell you about how much we love Rock Auto because we're both capable of changing windshield wipers on our car if someone helps us. Yeah, as long as I can watch. Yeah, can, can so, yeah, or there's a YouTube video to show us how to do it. But in all seriousness, Rock Auto is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop your auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules to brake pads to tail lamps to motor oil to even new carpet, which Ben and I can put into our car. We could do that. Rockauto.com's catalog's unique, remarkably easy to navigate. Go check it out. Rockauto.com. Same prices for professionals as do-it-yourselfers. Always reliably low. Amazing selection. Reliably low prices on all the part, car, part your car will ever need. Rockauto.com. Right locked on in the how did you hear about us section. Rock Auto. The... One of the surprises today in the NBA. Oh, by the way, Locked On Today will have all of this covered for you tomorrow. One of the big surprises today in the NBA was the Houston Rockets. Let's go to Jackson Gatlin. Give us his breakdown of what happened between the Rockets and the Mavs. Jonathan Hildred Wall had himself a game in the return to the Rockets lineup. What's up? Jackson Gatlin here from over at Locked on Rockets. John Wall had his way with the Dallas Mavericks. 31 points, 7 assists, 
three rebounds, three steals, had a block, just one turnover in his return to the Rockets lineup. Absolutely dominant against the Dallas Mavericks. The Rockets managing to take the season series against their division rivals two games to one. Imagine being the Dallas Mavericks losing a game to one of the worst teams in the NBA. Just, mm. It brings so much happiness to my heart. So for a full breakdown of what happened in this game, how the Rockets managed to come away with the W, be sure to check out Locked on Rockets, your team, every single day. Did, did we hear – do you think we just heard Locked on Rockets throw a little shade at Locked on Mavericks right there? Do you think we heard a little internal Locked on little locker room controversy there? I think he should do it, though. I mean, look, this has been a tough season for Locked On Rockets. So, hey, if you've got an opportunity to get a little swipe in at one of your Texas twin, uh, you know, sibling towns, go for it. What uh, we'll get to the other Western Conference team was so brilliant, but like the Mavericks look so good against the Jazz the other night. Luca looks so remarkable. Kristaps uh, doesn't play that game. Porzingis comes back tonight, gives him twenty-three and twelve. They actually played their guys, and they lose to the Rockets, who, as Jackson mentioned, John Wall. But th- that's that's got to be one of those like two steps forward, two steps back for the Dallas Mavericks. Yeah, that's a frustrating one for them for sure because they've been playing well, like you said, and it's probably just a classic let let up loss or you know let down loss. You see them on the schedule, and you think, oh, this is going to be easy. Houston's really had some some tough times lately. And you're probably not expecting to get that performance out of Wall because it's got to be one of the best games he's played all season, right? So uh, a lot of factors all kind of conspiring together there. One thing I wanted to run by you, did anyone during the Victor Oladipo trade analysis that that you heard raise the possibility that maybe Kelly Olenek is just a better basketball player than Victor Oladipo right now? Because if you look at their numbers since both those guys have been traded, and granted, they're different situations, you know, Houston, they're just letting Olenek do whatever the heck he wants. And, you know, there's not really stakes in their games. In Miami, they're trying to fit him into a smaller role. Like Olenek, I mean, 10, 18, and 3 tonight. He's had a number of games there already, average, you know, getting 20-plus points. I didn't hear anybody say, oh, nice find for Houston to grab Olenek. Maybe they could try to keep him this summer. It was more like he just kind of got tossed into that trade for Oladipo. It's wound up being the Olenek trade, not the Oladipo trade. It's kind of funny. Uh, I sometimes think Wendell Carter might help you win more than Nikola Vukovic. Ooh, that's that's spicy. Um, that, yeah, you think there's virus remorse already from Chicago? Um, I want some more time, but it's worth digging into Nikola Vukovic's um, pick-and-roll numbers both offensively and defensively in a pick-and-roll league. Yeah, the, the defensive stuff is pretty rough. I mean, like... And Steph really showed it when he's just, you know, dancing all over uh, both Zach Levine and Vucevic in that one particular game. I just don't know how you're ever going to be winning games in quantity if your two best players, your two highest salary guys, are both major minus defenders. And, you know, it's tough to hide them. You know, I, mean, I like what Patrick Williams does in the defensive end. He's going to age very nicely into that kind of a role, but... You almost need to clone him, get three of him to surround these other two guys if, if you're going to want to get yourself into a playoff-caliber defense, you know? The Denver Nuggets made a trade at the trade deadline. And since then, they have been perfect. Now, let's try to figure out what perfect really is. The world's going crazy. I think they might be right. Like, the numbers are through the roof. But they beat... Here's what they've done. They beat the Atlanta Hawks, who are okay, 126-102. They crushed them. 
They then beat a Philadelphia 76er team that did not have Joel Embiid, but they, that, that's not a bad team, 104-94. They then beat an L.A. Clipper team that was at, I believe, full strength, relatively full strength. 101. Correct. They beat him soundly. 101-94. Then they crushed Orlando, who's never at full strength ever again, at 119-109 in, in a not very impressive performance. They actually just turned it on in the fourth quarter. They beat the Detroit Pistons by thir- tw- uh, 15, and they, um, but were ahead by more. And then tonight, they beat the San Antonio Spurs. They have not lost a basketball game. Since adding Eric Aaron Gordon, and they win tonight 106-96. I heard I read an incredible note. Uh, I think it was out of um, uh, Dwyer might have had it. Um, that Aaron Gordon's actually been assisted already more by Nikola Vucevic. I mean by uh, Nikola Jokic than he was by Nikola Vucevic, um, or any <laughs> other player on Orlando's roster. Uh, how good are the Denver Nuggets? They win 106-96 tonight over the San Antonio Spurs, who are 500. They're very, very good. I mean, I, I believe they did it tonight also without Jamal Murray, if I'm not mistaken. That is correct. And, you know, to me, I, I look at the Jokic assist numbers and, you know, just kind of points created by his passes since that trade, and it just shows you how much better their lineups are balanced and how much better they're constructed. I thought it was a really big hole earlier in the season when they lost Jeremy Grant. I wasn't Jeremy Grant's biggest fan, but my concern with Denver was like, if you just, you know, if you don't have any options there, um, you're asking Jokic to do an awful lot. And you're going into a playoff series with one high, uh, hand tied behind your back. Now they're not in that situation anymore at all. I mean, now their front line uh, is very long, very athletic. Now Jokic himself isn't the most athletic player, but when he's out there in lots of minutes with Aaron Gordon and Michael Porter Jr., I mean, that's pretty tough for a lot of teams to match up with. Uh, Murray and Barton have been playing better the last month uh, or, or six weeks than they were earlier in this season. And this just kind of finally looks like a team that actually had a blueprint where I was starting to get worried that they had lost their way earlier this season because they were just so reliant upon Jokic himself. Now, ironically, Jokic has to do less now, but he's probably helping his case for MVP. I mean, if they keep rising, I think they're going to claim the three seed in the West. Uh, Harden misses some time with a hamstring. LeBron still, we don't know when he's coming back. And Bede missed an awful lot of time. You know, I don't think Portland's going to pass Denver in the standings at this point. I think this is now Jokic's MVP to lose pretty clearly, and uh, I would be almost stunned at this point if he didn't take it home. I'm not sure. I don't think Denver's the favorite. I've kind of said in that, the entire West or the yeah, league. No, in the entire West. I've actually said this for a while. People who listen to Lockdown Jazz. I've, I've been saying this for a while, even before the Aaron Gordon trade. Like I think they're really good. Well, look, I mean, they match up with all these teams so much better with Aaron Gordon than they did previously. Yeah. Like, I mean, I never want to bet against Jokic in the playoffs because he's pretty awesome in the playoffs, um, and he's very clutch in late, late game situations, can get a shot anytime. But, I mean, Aaron Gordon helps with the LeBron matchup. He helps with the Kawhi Leonard matchup. Um, I think that their overall offense now, uh, you could argue, is even more firepower than, uh, than Utah's, although it's pretty close. Uh, you probably want to check the numbers, but I guess, you know, in the last two or three weeks, Denver's probably got a – higher offensive efficiency rating even than Utah has. And, um, you know, they just uh, – they got better combinations and better depth. So I'm, I'm glad they invested at the deadline. That's always been one question with Denver. Like, is ownership going to be completely committed? How much money are they willing to spend? Um, you know, how are they, you know, getting outbid for some of these players in free agency? And they stepped to the plate, and it's paying off for sure. 
He's Ben Golliver of the Washington Post. I'm David Locke. We'll run through the rest of the ball games that happened. Here's one, Magic and the Wizard. Here's what Philip Rossman-Reich has to say from the Orlando Magic point of view. Philip Rossman-Reich, the host of Locked on Magic here with my takeaways from the Orlando Magic's 131-116 to loss to the Washington Wizards. It was very good for the Orlando Magic to have Cole Anthony back, who showed all that pent-up uh, pent uh, just energy to get back on the floor playing at his best. Uh, he had an, an incredible performance considering how long he's been out, uh, missing 20, the last 25 games, and really did a lot of good things for the Magic. Really, it was a lot of the young guys doing good things for the Orlando Magic throughout the course of the game. Mo Bamba with a career-high 17 points, including 10 straight in the fourth quarter that brought a 21-point lead down to 5, a 10-point lead at the end of the end of the third quarter. Don't, don't worry, he didn't do it all by himself. But unfortunately, the Orlando Magic's defense just not up to snuff. Uh, for the third straight game, the Magic struggled to defend the three-point line, giving up a ton of threes to a hot-shooting Washington Wizards team. Sure, some of it might have been some bad three-point luck, but a lot of these were step-in threes, and the Magic have a lot to clean up defensively. They are unable to keep both Russell Westbrook and uh, Bradley Beal out of the paint off the dribble, and that's what's going to cost you games. Your Orlando Magic fall to the Washington Wizards 131-116. to 116. We'll have a complete recap and takeaways on Locked On Magic. Not a big surprise there. We'll check in on the other games in the East. There were some noteworthy games. Today's show is brought to you by Locked On Bets and BetOnline.ag. That is your betting answer, betonline.ag, the fastest, easiest, most convenient, and fun way. You can play all sorts of things involving the Masters going on today. Baseball's out there for you as well, and get all sorts of NBA futures and bets. And We just said you'll look at the Denver Nuggets numbers and think I'm crazy. Um, So check them all out, what's going on there. Plus, you can even bet whether the Perth Wildcats will beat the Sydney Kings. Yes, that's Australian basketball, Joe Ingles. You can be very happy to know that that is going on, and you can bet on your Sydney Kings as well. Jazz, by the way, are seven-point favorites over the Blazers tonight, coming out the back-to-back overtime game, and the Clippers are a five-point favorite over the Phoenix Suns, who are playing a back-to-back. All those are betonline.ag. Use the promo code LOCKEDON to get a 50% welcome bonus. David Locke along with Ben Golliver as we continue to run through the night's action and the big stories of the NBA. John Corrales is our Locked on Celtics host, and the Celtics won a big one over the Knicks. Hey there, John Corrales here from the Locked on Celtics podcast after their big, gritty win over the New York Knicks. The Knicks are a tough defensive team. They made it very difficult to score, and in the fourth quarter when things looked bad, Tristan Thompson stepped up, Jalen Brown was was great, and Marcus Smart hit big shots. I mean, it was true. Well, I just cut off John Corrales, didn't mean to, but we'll get to the rest of that in a minute. Ben Golliver, we can still comment on that ballgame uh, as Boston wins it 101-99 down to the wire, as John was saying, 25 from Tatum, 32 from Jalen Brown. They put Romeo Langford actually played and started and played 25 minutes and um, I still don't have any idea whether the Boston Celtics are any good. And I actually don't even know if R.J. Barrett's any good, and he had 29 points. Like, there's a lot of big question marks that didn't get answered for me in this one, or at least got asked even again to me on this one. Well, I think it's it's kind of confirmation here, Locke. I mean, look, if, if Boston's in a dogfight with New York at this point of the season and we're kind of expecting the Knicks to fade a little bit after – a nice, you know, kind of overachieving start. If this is what it takes to kind of eke out a two-point victory, it's kind of an ugly game. 
and you know Boston Stars did show up. I think that tells you that Boston is not very good. Um, you know, it's one thing to look ahead. You know, if they wind up coming out as the eighth seed, you know, let's say Brooklyn's the one, um, or even if you know it's a two-seven or whoever they might face. I think Boston's going out early, man. And I think that most people would look at the Knicks and say, hey, look, they're young. They're not quite ready for these playoffs. They're probably going to get knocked out if they face one of the top three seeds, you know, probably in four or five games. That's exactly how I feel about the Boston Celtics, too. I think their postseason stay is going to be very quick. Um, Their interior defense still worries me now that they've lost ties. And I don't trust Fournier in the playoffs either. So I I don't think you need to to, – to scratch your head too long with this team. I think they've been who they've been for the entire season. It's just not their year. Let's run over to the New Brooklyn Nets. They battled today. Here's Adam from Locked on Nets. Adam Armick with the Locked on Nets podcast. What more do you want for the return of Kevin Durant to the hardwood tonight? A perfect performance from the field. Five of five from the floor gives you seven and five in support of the 17-point performance over 19 minutes. Took him a while until they finally brought him into the game. Left us in some suspense, but that's the sample size that we wanted to see after a 23-game layoff for Kevin. It was just a fantastic performance all around, a blowout win over the Pelicans. So even without now James Harden for at least another nine days, we get one of our other superstars back, the the gluttony of, of talent that we have on this roster makes it easy to feather our way down the stretch here you can hear us break down this game the return of kevin durant and what things look like down the stretch for brooklyn on the locked on nets podcast right here on the locked on podcast network ben you mentioned this game earlier what's your thoughts on the brooklyn nets and their feathering their way down the stretch no i mean my takeaway was this team might win the nba title i mean it looks pretty good might i mean look here's it's the- over might here's- might there's well, no chance okay. they lose. You're taking them all the way, really? Oh, my gosh. It's a mathematical impossibility for them to lose if they're healthy. They have this four of like the top. Slight. No, they have like four of the top ten offensive players in the whole league. They don't even need to play defense. They can win the title. No, I was actually going to do an exploration on that. to try to look at who were the worst defenses to win the title in, in the past and just kind of see if there's any uh, lessons to take for Brooklyn. Here's the thing. They didn't even play Harden, as he mentioned. They didn't play Durant for the first quarter and a half of the game because he's on a minutes restriction, right? So it's almost like they're just punting away at the start to just kind of feel out the, the Pelicans to see what they're about. They still almost scored 140 points, and they were up by so much, they didn't even have to play their guys during the fourth quarter. Um, you know, Blake Griffin made that comment, oh, everybody used to tell me that I sucked two months ago, and now everybody says it's unfair that we've come together. I think that's exactly right. Like, <laughs> I mean, when you're the face of a team that's losing in Detroit and you're getting a max salary, people are going to be much harder on you than when you're coming off the bench on a team that's absolutely stacked. And the same thing goes for LaMarcus Aldridge. Like, when he's trying to decide, are you the number one or number two option on a team that's got a whole bunch of young players that wants to change its style of play down in San Antonio and and kind of run and gun a little bit more and and shoot more threes, then, yeah, you're kind of the odd man out. You don't really make a lot of sense on a big salary contract number. But when you show up in Brooklyn and now you're getting some starters minutes and now you put up 22 points and, you know, play some decent interior defense for the Nets and, uh, you know, go to that turnaround that's been money for his entire career as sort of like the fourth or fifth option in a really high-powered offense, it's like, come on, yeah, of course people are going to feel like it's unfair. So, uh, you know, to me, Joe Harris, again, uh, lots of quality minutes, just lots of back-breaking shots. Every three he hits just kills the defense because – 
They feel like they worked hard, made the ball move, and then it's just, you know, absolute cash from him. They're loaded. Um, they do deserve to be considered the uh, the favorites. And to me, the only hesitation why I said might off the top is because the three stars still haven't played that many games together and Harden's out and now for a stretch, so they're still going to have to work that together before the playoffs. But I think that they're kind of their own biggest uh, their own biggest challenger at this point. I don't know who in the first round is going to give them any sort of an, uh, a push. I don't think anybody. And depending on how the second round series shakes out, if Philly and uh, Milwaukee have to face each other, that's going to be another light series for the Nets, and they're going to be nice and rested for the Eastern Conference Finals. So I think everything's coming up Brooklyn right now. I sense a lot of excitement in that uh, the Locked On Nets host voice, and I think it's warranted. Uh, I think the Joe Harris's of the world are still the most undervalued pieces. You know, Joe Harris, Joe Ingles, these guys who may only be taking six or seven shots a game but are hitting 50% of their threes, they're, they're just incredibly valuable. It's, and so when you add – Joe Harris is one of the 20 most impactful offensive players in the league. Like, I can give you the numbers to show it. Just believe me. And you suddenly add three of the greatest offensive players to that. Like, and then he gets to build off that. It's, it's truly insane. Before we go, we must have an ode to TJ McConnell. 19 points, 15 assists, two steals, 9 of 12. It's like the second time he's come off the bench to do 15-15 this year. No one's ever done that in the history of the game. Um, they beat Minnesota, but so does everybody. 141-137. Um, I'm amazed that a team of um, Justin Holiday, Doug McDermott, uh, Goga, Karis Levert, and I think it's Ed Sumner. I think those were the five starters for Indiana tonight. And with a bench of TJ McConnell, I'm guessing that's Jakar Sampson because I don't know any other Jay Sampsons, but I don't actually know. And Aaron Holiday scored 141 points. Yeah, I mean, Chris Finch after the game, he had some comment to the effect of, like, we just didn't defend. You know, really? like, he wasn't really, you know, yeah, he really wasn't trying to dive too deep into it. Minnesota got way behind in this game, and I guess they probably like made it a little bit competitive by the end. But um, these are tough times for the Timberwolves, and I, I've seen some people start to raise the question of like, what's best? You know, what's in the best interest of their organization? You know, is Anthony Edwards does he need to become sort of the main guy that you're building around? If you get to keep your draft pick this year, do some of your other guys potentially become trade pieces, and you have to go younger and I'm sure there's a huge segment of the fan base that says not another rebuild. We've been rebuilding constantly, but you know, this group is 13 and 39. They haven't been able to keep their main guys on the court together. I'm not sure exactly what you point to, um, you know, with a core of guys like Towns and and D'Angelo Russell. And that's telling you that they're ever going to come together and be a playoff team. It's just kind of hard to make that argument. So uh, they're at a crossroads to me. And it's so much is going to hinge on whether they keep that draft pick. It's, It's top three protected. They'll get to keep it. If they drop to fourth, though, that pick goes to Golden State. They could potentially miss out on the ability to draft Jalen Suggs, kind of the hero of the NCAA tournament who's from St. Paul, and that would just be an absolute gut punch to lose out on a local kid like that. So, you know, to me, I've got the the Minnesota Timberwolves circled on that draft lottery night. Um, A lot hangs in the balance for that organization. He's Ben Golliver. Get him at the Washington Post. His book's coming out shortly. Search Ben Golliver on Amazon to get his new book coming out about the bubble. Go to Ben Golliver on Twitter and sign up for his Washington Post newsletter. I'm David Locke. Right now, take the time to go listen to the daily podcast called Locked On Today. It's 20 minutes recapping all the biggest stories in the sports world, getting you up to date. Have a great day. Thanks very much for tuning in.